Evening, everyone. Good evening. <clears throat> Welcome to our session number nine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. We ask you tonight to open our minds to understand the scriptures. <clears throat> we stop and pray for Israel, what's going on over there. We understand that um, all this is part of your prophetic plan. We don't know how it all works out now and um, the details or the sequence of events, but we know for sure that, Lord, you still are on your throne and you're drawing people to yourself in these last days uh, so that you don't want anybody to perish, but that all would come to repentance and come to be saved through the blood of your Son. So tonight we pray for peace in Jerusalem because you told us to pray for peace, understanding, Lord, that ultimately the only peace, true peace, will come to Jerusalem will be when the Prince of Peace actually comes. And we pray for his return. We pray that when he does come, he'll find his bride ready for the wedding. When the door opens, we'll walk through. In Jesus' name, amen. These appointed times, they're all part of God's Word. And each one, our revelations are more than dates from the past. I'm, I'm hoping by the time we're in session nine, you're getting that. This is not about a history lesson. All of God's appointed times have an impact on the church and all of God's appointed times, which again, I hope you're getting it, every one of them reveals Jesus. Every one of them. Tonight, it does it again with Hanukkah. Even though these appointed times were set, the, all the ones we've covered up till tonight, were set 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. Now tonight will be a newer one. We've covered the Sabbath, the Passover, unleavened bread, Feast of Weeks to Pentecost, trumpets, Day of Atonement, booths or tabernacles, and the eighth day. That was the ending of the appointed times of Leviticus 23. That list that I just read to you is all that was in Moses' uh, instruction from God in Leviticus 23. <clears throat> The next three feasts or appointed times came after the time of Moses, but they are still observed by the Jewish people today, still observed. They are the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah, which is tonight's topic, the Feast of Lots or Purim, <clears throat> and the Ninth of Av, which will be the last one. Session, if you count those up, you're going to come up with 11, and there's 12 parts to this series. How do I do that? Because the 12th session will be a summary where I tie all 11 together at one time. That'll be the last session. Tonight, we'll cover the Feast of Dedication, which is more commonly known to us as Hanukkah. This Jewish feast occurs in November or December, near our Christmas time, each year, I went in, it's a seven-day feast. Uh, I looked at the Jewish calendar just this afternoon. I, I think it was December the 8th. This year, it'll start on December the 8th. It'll last for seven days. Hanukkah celebrates the dedication and the purification of the Jerusalem temple that occurred before the time of Christ, during the times that the Greek empire ruled the kingdoms of men. So let's kind of start there. Hanukkah comes when Greek, Greece uh, ruled the world. 
Now, why do I make a big deal out of that? Because if you go back to Daniel, the Greeks were the belly and thighs of bronze in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, interpreted by Daniel. They are, so you had the Babylonian head of gold, the chest of silver, that's the Medo-Persian empire, and the Greece, Greeks came next, the belly and thigh of bronze. The Greeks are referred to as the shaggy goat. In Daniel's vision recorded in chapter 8, 500 years before Christ, Daniel brings up Greece by name as the shaggy goat. So let's start there when reading verse 15. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand, as I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision. Now, let me give you the, what vision? Um, it's, he, he saw a little horned goat. He's the Antichrist. I'm trying to understand the meaning of this little horn Antichrist creature that he sees in the vision. Someone who looked like a man stood in front of me while I'm trying to discern the stream. <clears throat> and I heard a human voice calling out from the Uliah River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. This little horn, despicable man, Antichrist, is a vision that relates to the time of the end. While he, Gabriel, was speaking, I fainted. And I lay there with my face to the ground. But Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Can you imagine being Daniel in this situation? Whew, he passes out from the, from the moment. Gabriel helps him up. And then he said, Gabriel talking to Daniel, I am here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What do you think that is? Now, I'm convinced that's the tribulation at the end. What will happen later at the time of wrath? I'm going to tell you, Daniel, 500 years before Christ, what it's going to be like in the last seven years before Jesus comes back. And Jesus hadn't even come the first time. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. Okay? The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. Now, there were several characters in this dream, not just the despicable uh, little horned antichrist creature. Now he's going to bring up Greece. This is Gabriel talking to Daniel. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. Now, if you have studied world history, you just saw Alexander the Great and the four kings that replaced him. Do you understand? That's what this is talking about. Alexander the Great was the one large horn 
in Daniel's dream. And after his death, the Greek kingdom was divided into four smaller kingdoms. Notice that Daniel names Greece as the third kingdom after Babylon, after the Medo-Persians, and then comes Greece. Why is that interesting? (laughs) Because of this. Because the Greeks didn't come to power until 332 BC, 200 years after the time of Daniel. How in the world would he name them by name? When it's 200 years later before Alexander the Great comes into the Middle East. Greece ruled the Middle East from 332 B.C. to 63 B.C. The Hanukkah event that we're going to reveal tonight as a shadow. It's a shadow like all the other ones. It's a shadow. The Hanukkah event would occur in 167 B.C. Under the rule of the Greek, Greece, the Greek Empire, the Jewish people were under the control of the Greek Empire for about 150 years before the Romans conquered the Greeks. You see, that statue of Daniel, the, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greek, and the Romans, what are the, it's the Greek, it's the Gentile kingdoms of men all of them will at some point have authority and, and ruler, uh, ruler, ruling authority in Jerusalem. All of them at some point. Understand that's what it's all about. Daniel brings up the Greek empire. Uh, no, no, I left something out. Um, the Romans under General Pompey conquered Jerusalem in 63 B.C., bringing an end to the Greek Empire. And what happens next? And here comes the Romans. You've gone through the statue of Daniel's uh, interpretation. So Daniel brings up this Greek Empire again as a spiritual war adversary in chapter 10. And and I'm going to tell you, this is powerful today, right now today. Um, Let me show you. This is Gabriel talking to Daniel. And when Gabriel talks to Daniel, who's talking to Daniel? God. He's just talking through Gabriel. Verse verse, um, 20. He replied, Do you know why I have come? This is Gabriel asking Daniel. Daniel's having a hard time staying conscious. Okay, he's passing out on the floor. And Gabriel says, Do you know why I have come? Soon I, Gabriel, the messenger angel of God, I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Anybody see a spiritual war? Gabriel says, I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Where's Persia? Today, Iran. Who's in the middle of this thing in the Middle East today? Iran. There is a spiritual power there that you and I cannot comprehend. Gabriel is caught up in it. Listen carefully. And after I got to fight the spirit prince of Persia, and after that, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. So there's these spiritual strongholds in the world during the time of Daniel. Meanwhile, 
I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. <laughs> and this is coming from God. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael. Oh, who's Michael? He's the archangel. Okay? No one helps me except Michael, your spirit prince. Do you see it? Israel has a spirit prince too. Daniel is Jewish. So when he says your spirit prince, he's saying there's a spirit prince in Persia. There's a spirit prince in Greece. But there's a spirit, Michael, the archangel. And by the way, I believe he's the highest of the angels. Michael is the spirit prince of Israel. Right? I have been standing beside Michael to support and strengthen him since the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. What was that? That's when Babylon lost its power to the Medo-Persians. Do you see a spiritual war? Do you think that stopped? Do you think it's happening right now? I do. Spirit prince. Do you see the spiritual war raging in the heavenly realms? We talk about it all the time. That five-part series I did was how to survive the, the, the spirit war that we're living in. While all the background was so, okay, preacher, where's this go for Hanukkah? That's where we're going. Hanukkah celebrates God's victory in the spiritual war in Jerusalem at the temple. Hanukkah celebrates the Maccabees victory. They were Jewish men living in and around in Judea and around Jerusalem. Hanukkah celebrates the Maccabees victory over the Greeks and the rededication of the temple in 165 BC after the Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes. I wonder how many of y'all could spell that one. Antiochus Epiphanes defiled it. How did he defile it? By sacrificing a pig on the altar of the Jerusalem temple. So I just want you to get something. Can you imagine a, a a sacrilegious object that causes desecration to the temple. To the Jewish people, a pig was an unclean animal. You couldn't eat it. It was outlawed for the Jews. And it would be the worst thing you could bring into the temple. So this Greek guy hated the Jews so bad that his ultimate insult was to defile the holy place that they treasured. So how would he defile it? He comes and does a sacrilegious object. Put places a sacrilegious object that causes desolation, that causes desecration. He defiles the temple. Um, the Maccabees rose up against Greece, against the military. It, the Maccabees victory is recorded in the book of Maccabees in the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. Somebody says, what is the Apocrypha? It was written between the Old and the New Testaments in what we commonly refer to as the 400 years of silence between Malachi and the Gospels. So where's the Apocrypha? In the division between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, the, the book of Maccabees, it's in the Catholic Bible. 
It is not in the Protestant Bible. It is not in your Bible. Why? Because it was not accepted in the canon and it was left out. So I don't have time to get into all of that. I'm just telling you that the Maccabees, I think there's one, two, three, and four, maybe five, I don't remember. But there's, there's several Maccabee books in the Catholic Bible. And, and it's talking about what happened in this event, which, which was the origin of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is also known as the Feast of Lights. <clears throat> because, and it's really one of the main points. It, it's not just about running off the Greeks who sacrificed a pig in your temple. Well, that's a big deal, but Hanukkah is about the Feast of Lights because of the legendary miraculous provision of oil in the temple. After cleansing the temple, <clears throat> cleansing it, why? Because it had been defiled by this pig sacrifice. After cleansing the temple, the priesthood had to supply of resupply the oil to relight the eternal flame which is what the symbol of God's presence is the in the temple is the eternal flame on the um, menorah the candle thing okay but the problem was they only had enough oil for one day and for that oil to be used in the temple <clears throat> the purification would take, I think it took eight days. And you can't rush the process. So they only have enough oil for one day. And it takes eight days to purify the oil in the priesthood. So what are you going to do? <clears throat> but God performed a great miracle. And the flame burned for eight days that was necessary for the priest to purify the oil. That's Hanukkah. That's why they celebrate it. The New Testament book of John tells us that Hanukkah was celebrated by the Jews during the time of Jesus. Well, of course it was, because Hanukkah is before Christ. So let's go to John. First, I'm going to read the New Living Translation. And this is one of the differences between the New Living Translation and New American Standard, is that it actually takes the liberty of using the word Hanukkah, which is not in the original text. It was called the Feast of Dedication at that time. So here we go. Verse 22. It was now winter. That tells us the time of the year they celebrate Hanukkah. We, we do it in the winter. We do uh, Christmas. It's uh, comparable to our Christmas. Is in time, in timing. It was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly, which is a wonderful question. Now the New American Standard Bible, which is what I study from when I do word by word study, doesn't use the word Hanukkah. It refers to it as the Feast of Dedications. And I'm not going to read that. I just put that in there to show you the difference. The Maccabees freed the Jews from the tyranny of Greece and rededicated and cleansed the temple. And where's all this going? Here we go. Restoring the presence of God among the Jewish people in Jerusalem. All right. Is God's presence going to remain in a temple that's been defiled by pig's blood? No. So they cleansed it, purified it, 
what? For the single purpose that the presence of God, which was represented by the menorah, which supernaturally was lit for eight days without oil, all of that was the point of Hanukkah. This is where the story gets very interesting. And shadows begin to take shape. The Jews defeated Antiochus Epiphanes, and he's the bad guy that did all this, okay? He's the Greek bad guy. And I'll just tell you up front so that you'll understand where this is going. He is the shadow of the Antichrist. He's the preview character. If there's a big Antichrist, which is the one that's coming during the tribulation, this is the little Antichrist that's going to give you a, a, a preview of the one to come. Everybody with me? So this Antiochus Epiphanes is a shadow, a preview of the, of the eventual Antichrist that will also come and will also defile the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. The Jews defeated Antiochus Epiphanes, restored the temple in 165 BC. It's called Hanukkah. Is that a shadow of Daniel's end time prophecy about the Antichrist, the despicable man of the last days, what's in front of us? Is Antiochus Epiphanes a shadow, a preview of the future coming of the Antichrist? He is not the main event. He is a preview of the main event. So let's go to Daniel 11 and let's read it. The next to come to power will be a despicable man. So in this text, you're going to see the shadow and the Antichrist. The shadow and the Antichrist. He's a despicable man who is not in line for royal succession. He will slip in when least expected and take over the kingdom by flattery and intrigue. Before him, great armies will be swept away, including a covenant prince. With deceitful promises, he will make various alliances. He will become strong despite having only a handful of followers. Without warning, he will enter the richest areas of the land. Then he will distribute among his followers the plunder and wealth of the rich, something his predecessors had never done. He will plot the overthrow of strongholds, but this will last for only a short while. Then he will stir up his courage and raise a great army against the king of the south. The king of the south will go to battle with a mighty army, but to no avail, for there will be plots against him. His own household will cause his downfall. His army will be swept away and many will be killed, seeking nothing but each other's harm. How would you like to go to this meeting? Seeking nothing but each other's harm. These kings will plot against each other at the conference table, attempting to deceive each other. But it will make no difference, for the end will come at the appointed time. That'd be a good name for a series, the appointed time. The king of the north will then return home with great riches. On the way, he will set himself against the people of the Holy Covenant. Who are they? They're the Jewish people. Now, you see this? On his way, 
He will set himself against the people of the Holy Covenant, doing much damage before continuing his journey. Then at the appointed time, there's that word again, he will once again invade the south, but this time the result will be different. His warships from western coastlands will scare Warships from western coastlands will scare him off, and he will withdraw and return home. But he will vent his anger against the people of the Holy Covenant, against the Jewish people, and reward those who forsake the covenant. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, Put a stop to the daily sacrifices. Right? This is the Antichrist. He will take over the temple fortress. He will pollute the sanctuary. He will stop the daily sacrifices. And by the way, I've told you a bunch of times, the Jews are never going to do daily sacrifices outside the temple. It has to be a temple. Right? And set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. So you've got both characters revealed. You've got Antiochus Epiphanes, the preview, and you've got the Antichrist in the future, both revealed inside this text. He will flatter and win over those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will be strong and they will resist him. That would be the Maccabees in the past. And that will be those redeemed in the future. Are anybody listening? They will resist the Antichrist. Those who know their God will resist him. Wise leaders will give instructions to many. But these teachers will die by fire and sword. Or they will be jailed and robbed. During these persecutions, little help will arrive. And many who join them will not be sincere. And some of the wise will fall victim to persecution. In this way, they will be refined and cleansed and made pure until the time of the end. The appointed time is still to come. Now, I need to stop for a moment. Some of the wise will fall victim to persecution. So they're resisting the Antichrist. And they, because of their resistance, will fall victim to persecution. In this way, by resisting the Antichrist, by resisting the false Christ, they will be refined and cleansed. You need to get this part. Only in the resistance will you be refined. Only in the resistance will you be made pure until the time of the end. Why? Because the appointed time, the final judgment is still to come. So you have to resist. The king, the Antichrist, will do as he pleases, exalting himself, claiming to be greater than, any, than every god, even blaspheming the God of gods. He will succeed. But only until the time of wrath is completed. What would that be? The tribulation. For what has been determined will surely take place. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors 
or for the God loved by women or for any other God, for he will boast that he is greater than them all. Now, when I read that, I want you to think about the spirit prince of Persia, the spirit prince of Greece, these false gods. This one, he's got no respect for any of them. He, he's, he, he says, I'm greater than all of these other ones. Why? Because who is inside of him? Satan. 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 Instead of these, he will worship the God of fortresses, a God his ancestors never knew, and lavish on him gold, silver, precious stones, and expensive gifts. Claiming this foreign God's help, the Antichrist, claiming this foreign God's help, a God that no one else has ever worshipped, he will honor He will honor those who submit to him, appointing them to positions of authority and dividing the land among them as their reward. But you must resist him. Right? That's what he said above that. You got to resist him. So let me ask you, do you see it? I wonder how many of you do yet. Hanukkah is a preview or a shadow of the Antichrist and the battle against the Jewish people during the tribulation. Why? Here's the two scenes, Hanukkah and future tribulation. The light has gone out and the presence of God was gone. It was gone in the time of the Greeks in 165 BC, but the light came back to Jerusalem and defeated the foreigners, cleansing and rededicating the temple. Do you see the two shadows? Everything about Antiochus Epiphanes is going to be redone during the tribulation. The light will have gone out. They're going to rebuild the temple, restart animal sacrifices during the tribulation, right? And then the light will go out. A false god will stand and proclaim that he is God. Antiochus Epiphanes Jr. You know, it's like he's the junior. This one's the senior. And something's going to happen. At the end of the tribulation, Something's going to happen and the light will return. I got goosebumps when I said that. And it won't be in a candle. He will come. The light that has left. What's the church? The light of the world. It returns. Behind whom? The one who will defeat the Antichrist. You with me? So hang So what do we do? Jesus comes some 200 years after Hanukkah. And what does he teach? Perseverance during trials. Church, if there's one message I could give you tonight, this is it. You better toughen up. You better toughen up. He teaches perseverance during trials. Hang on to the light during the time of testing. Because that's how you're going to experience purification. That's the only way. And you got to endure during the... So let me read Matthew 5.10. This is what Jesus says. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you're simply my follower. Be happy about it. Toughen up. 
Quit whining. Be very glad. Uh, the be, stop whining. I made that up. That wasn't in there. <laughs> be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets, they were persecuted in the same way. The whole concept of faith is what? To hold on to the light of truth during the time of waiting. I, I so appreciated Chad's sermon this past week. It was so powerful. What? Faith is waiting. You say you have faith, and the first time you have to wait, you fall apart. It's not faith. You got to toughen up. You got to be able to endure during the time of waiting. This is the message of the church in the last days. Jesus gives this clear instruction to the church, to the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2.10. Don't be afraid of what you're going to about to suffer. But I am. But don't be. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. Why does he say this to a church? But if you remain faithful, even when you're facing death, I'll give you a crown of life. But I'm going to ask you a question. Listen, on that text, on that, on that text to a church, what if you don't? If you're faithful even to the point of death, I'll give you a crown of life. What if you don't? What if you surrender during the time of testing? It's not called faith. And what is faith? Faith is saving. Faith is salvation. It's salvation. That's why the church has got to toughen up. So what about today? Well, let me just read it. If Antiochus Epiphanes is a preview or shadow, the Antichrist will be the reality of this despicable man. Revelation 13. And when I say the beast in this text, the beast is the Antichrist of the future. John, in 1 John, he says, you know that the Antichrist is coming. But many Antichrists are already here. That's the spirit of Antichrist. But there is a person of Antichrist. He is coming. He's the beast in Revelation 13. Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. I really like the idea that he was allowed. What does that tell you? There's somebody else in charge. Yeah. And it's not the devil. The beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. He was given authority. He was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months, three and a half years. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his temple. That is, those who live in heaven. And the beast, the Antichrist, was allowed to wage war against God's holy people. I believe that's a direct reference in Revelation to the Jewish people against God's holy people, and he's going to conquer them. So when I look at this war over here, and I look at what's going to end up the war that happens during the tribulation, do you understand that in the tribulation, Israel will be in the process of being defeated until the very end? And he will conquer them. Can you read this? 
and he will conquer them. And he, will, he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. So a lot of people, and I deal with this a lot, a lot of people say that, that Antiochus Epiphanes was the Antichrist and there is no revelation Antichrist. I get that all the time. Um, here's, here's the first sign that that doesn't make any sense. This person will be given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation of the earth. Antiochus Epiphanes had authority over one small section. The Antichrist will rule the world. That's a different event. It's not, it, one's a preview, the other's the main event. The tribulation will be worldwide. Verse 8, and all the people who belong to this world, they worship this beast, this Antichrist. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. And anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Let me ask you as I read that, what, what do you think that means? Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. What do you think it means? There is a point of no return. There's a point when you become destined to destruction. You, you, can't, you can't back up. There's a series of events that will take place. Now, nobody knows who that is and where that is. But it, some is destined for prison, you're going to go to prison. You're going to destined to die by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. You're not going to get out of it. This means, so what does this mean? So what does this mean? This means that God's holy people must endure, must endure, must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. And what if you don't? And what if you don't? Do you see? The church has got to toughen up. The, the American church is filled with wimps. Maybe the most amazing thing of all is what's going to follow. Jesus quotes Daniel's 500-year-old prophecy. That just is amazing. What does that tell you about Daniel? What's that tell you about reading Daniel? You better pay attention. Jesus quotes Daniel's 500-year-old prophecy about the Antichrist of the end days. Jesus quotes him about the Antichrist. Jesus talks about this event as a future event to Jesus. And some want to say, and I hear I get this all the time, that this, what, G, what I'm about to read, was fulfilled in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman emperor, came and burned down Jerusalem. That that was it. And there is no future Antichrist and there is no future tribulation. No. It wasn't Titus in 70 AD. It will be the Antichrist at the end of days and at the end of the tribulation. This is just another shadow. So Matthew 24, Titus was just another shadow. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 24. And by the way, this is the Olivet Discourse. He, he does this Olivet Discourse on a Wednesday before he dies on Friday. It's in the last days of his life in Jerusalem. 
The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. Daniel precedes Jesus from 500 years, more than 500 years. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. What? What did he talk about? The sacrilegious object that causes desecration. I just read it to you a minute ago. Right? I just read it. It can't be Antiochus Epiphanes because Antiochus Epiphanes is before Jesus. So this time is coming thing doesn't work because to Jesus it's future. So it's not Antiochus Epiphanes. When the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place, reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. I always like to say, you know know what he's going to say? Run. Run. When, When this happens, run. A person on the deck of the roof must not go down to the house to pack person out in the field must not return to get, get, get your coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began. It will never be so great again. It's not 70 AD. It's not Antiochus Epiphanes. This is the worldwide tribulation. In fact, unless the time of calamity, the tribulation, is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened. Why? Because out of the fire of the tribulation, he will redeem Israel. Because he said so. Now, connect Jesus' prophetic announcement to Daniel that was given 500 years earlier. So, I just read Jesus' statement. Now, Let's go to Daniel 9.26. After this period of 62 sets of seven. By the way, I could talk about this one for about a week. But I, don't, I can't. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. That is Daniel's prophetic announcement of the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. And yes, I think that's Titus in 70 AD. And it is also a shadow. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty. Now we've gone from 70 AD into the future. There's a gap in there. It's called the 70th week of Daniel. The ruler will make a treaty. And I believe this ruler is not Antiochus Epiphanes. He is not Titus in 70 AD. This is the Antichrist. He will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. Seven years. But after half this time, three and a half years... He will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. Now, let me draw your attention to something. To those of you who can't imagine how they will ever rebuild a Jewish temple, I can tell you, he cannot put an end to sacrifices and offerings that have not begun. And they cannot begin without a temple. So there has to be a temple rebuilt. And I'm going to tell you, I've been there three times. There's no temple there. It's not. There's a Muslim mosque in the... And the Dome of the Rock. 
And you know what? Caught up in this world war between Ishmael and Isaac, which is what's going on, somehow, some way, they're going to, at some point, now a lot of people believe that if you go up here and it says he's going to make a peace agreement with the people for a set of seven years, that maybe that peace agreement will be that you can rebuild the Jewish temple. I can't even imagine a circumstance that would bring that kind of an agreement. But it will. It's going to. But listen carefully. But after half that time, the Antichrist will put an end to sacrifices and offering. Why? Because he's a liar. He's a liar. He wants the temple because he wants the temple himself. He wants the temple to say, I am God. Here we go. And at the climax of all his terrible deeds, what's he going to do? Antiochus Epiphanes gave us the preview. What's the Antichrist going to do in the end of days? At the climax of his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler, the Antichrist, is finally poured out on him. I'm going to ask you, can you see Hanukkah? I can. Can you? I got goosebumps again. Can you see Jesus in the appointed time of Hanukkah? Satan inside a man called the Antichrist, a despicable man, will take the light out of the temple, defile it, defile it, until the fate decreed by the defiler is finally poured out on him. And it won't be the McAfee's that run off Antiochus Epiphanes. It'll be the Christ, the light that runs off the Antichrist. And the light will return supernaturally to restore God's holy people. The light returns supernaturally and defeats the Antichrist. Antiochus Epiphanes and Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a preview of the final event when Jerusalem's temple will be restored by the light of Christ himself. Listen carefully. Jesus said that John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So he's proclaiming, he, I, what? I am Hanukkah. What have we learned so far? I am the Sabbath. I am the Passover. I am the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I, I am Pentecost. I, I, he is, he's all of them. He's also Hanukkah. He's also Hanukkah. Do you see it? The light is the, and what does it mean? The light is the glorious splendor of his coming back to the earth. What do you think? I, I think you're going to need sunglasses when he comes back. Here's why. Second Thessalonians. How is Jesus going to kill the Antichrist when he comes back? Now, dear brothers and sisters, let's clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus. Well, what are we talking about? It's pretty clear. Uh, let's clarify about the coming of our Lord Jesus, number one. And number two, how will we be gathered to him? 
Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the door, day of the Lord's already begun. Don't believe them even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter from, supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, what day? Jesus' return. Will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The Antichrist must be revealed. He is a man of lawlessness. I'm reading to you tonight his lawlessness. Antiochus Epiphanes is the preview. This is the main event. The one who brings destruction. It's the tribulation. When he comes, the tribulation comes with him. Do you understand? It's the same timing. The one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God. That sounds like Daniel's prophecy. And every object of worship, he will even sit in the temple of God, which means there has to be a temple. Claiming that he himself is God. And don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what's holding him back. And I look around the room and say, it's you. You're doing it. So when I say you're the light of the world, you know what? This dark thing wants to come, but he can't come because light's here. But if light could be removed, dark could come easily. Right? And you know what's holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. There's the appointed times. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, and it will remain secret until the one who is holding him back steps out of the way. Come, Jesus, come. Then, did you notice that word? I know it's in the NLT, so it's kind of loose sometimes when they use it. Then, but that, that, that describes a sequence of events. There's one that must be taken out of the way. Then, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Now, if you ask me why I have said numerous times, I don't believe the real church will ever know who the Antichrist is. It's that right there. Because I believe the one will be, the church will be taken out of the way. And then, then, after we have been, after the light has been withdrawn, the darkness will come. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. Here comes my favorite part tonight. But the Lord Jesus will kill him. How? Atomic warfare? Machine gun? Light. With the glory, it will destroy him by the splendor of his coming. By the, and one translation says, by the glory of his appearing. What light. What he is darkness. I love the simplicity of this illustration. You, go, you take this room right here. We have no windows in this room, except a few in the, toward the lobby. We've got no real windows to the outside world. So you turn these lights off, electricity goes off. This is one dark spot. And you come in here and there's no lights, no electricity, no electricity. And you turn the lights on. Where's the dark go? That's what happens at Hanukkah. That's why Jesus is Hanukkah. The light has gone and God supernaturally restores the light. Israel is reborn. The temple is purified. That, that's Jesus. He's promised he's going to do that. He's going to kill the Antichrist. What? With light. Can you see Hanukkah? Revelation 20 verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit. 
The heavy chain is in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked. So Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. And afterward, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones and people sitting on them that had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. What got your head cut off? What is it? What was it? You better figure this out. By proclaiming their testimony of Jesus and proclaiming the word of God, you'd better toughen up. I'm not saying they're going to come cut, a, cut off heads, but I'm going to say this. If you're ashamed of this right now, do you think you could possibly stand against the Antichrist in the tribulation? Really? I get all these people who say, you know what? Yeah, I, 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 I'd stand up rather, I'd stand up the Antichrist in the tribulation. If you won't stand up for Jesus today, you will not stand up for him in tribulation. Because in the tribulation, they're going to cut your head off. Right now, you just might not get promoted at work. Or somebody might make fun of you. Who are these? They had not worshipped the beast. Or his statue. Nor accepted the mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they, they get the resurrection. They all came to life again. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Where's this going? The temple will be restored with Jesus in it. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. These people who, who, who held to the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. They came to life again. They reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. And blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests. Who, these resurrected people, they're going to be priests of God and of Christ, and they're going to reign with him for a thousand years. Jesus is going to reign as king on this present earth, and the church is going to reign with him in some way. I don't even know how he's going to work it out. I'll let him figure it out. The revelation reveals this rebuilt and rededicated temple that will be trampled on by the Gentiles, by the nations, for 42 months, for three and a half years. Listen carefully. The revelation reveals that the, the temple's going to be rebuilt. It's this picture that fulfills Hanukkah. It'll be rebuilt, and it'll be trampled on by the Gentiles. Antiochus Epiphanes kind of an event, except this time it'll be the Antichrist in real for three and a half years. Here we go. Revelation 11.1. 1. Then I was given a measuring stick and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers, but do not measure the outer courtyard for it has been turned over to the nations. Some translations say Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses. This is when those two witnesses supernaturally rise up. And they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1260 days. Tribulation, tribulation, tribulation. What does it mean? The temple will be defiled in the tribulation. But it will not remain defiled. That's where Hanukkah comes in. 
The prophet Ezekiel also reveals a millennial temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus will be the king. Can you see Hanukkah now? Ezekiel 43. After this, the man brought me back around to the east gateway. Suddenly, the glory of God, that's light. The glory of God, the God of Israel, appeared from the east. The sound of his coming was like the roar of rushing waters, and the whole landscape shone with his glory. There's light. There's Hanukkah. This vision was just like the others I had seen, first by the Kibar River, and then when he crossed, when he came to destroy Jerusalem. I fell face down on the ground, and the glory, there's the light, there's Hanukkah, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple through the east gateway. Then the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner courtyard. The glory, the light, the glory of the Lord filled this temple. And I heard someone speaking to me from within the temple while the man who had been measuring stood beside me. The Lord said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne. Everybody listen. And the place where I will rest my feet. And I will live here, how long? Forever. Among the people of Israel. Hanukkah. He is Hanukkah. Do you see it? They and their kings will not defile my holy name any longer by their adulterous worship of other gods or by honoring the relics of their kings who have died they put their idol altars next to mine. Do you see Antiochus Epiphanes? They put their idols, altars next to mine with only a wall between them and me. They defiled my holy name by such detestable sin. So I consumed them in my anger. That's the tribulation. Now let now let them stop worshiping other gods and, honor the, and honoring the relics of their kings, and I will live among them forever. Son of man, describe to the people of Israel the temple I have shown you, so they will be ashamed of their sins, of all their sins, and let them study its plans. What plans? The detailed plans in Ezekiel of the rebuilt millennial temple. And they will be ashamed of what they have done. Describe to them all the specifications of the temple, including its entrances and exits and everything else about it. Tell them about the decrees and laws. Write down all the specifications and decrees as they watch, so they will be sure to remember and follow them. And this is the basic law of the temple. Ready? The millennial temple. What's the basic law? Absolute holiness. The entire top of the mountain where the temple is built is holy. Yes, this is the basic law of the temple. Ezekiel uses, listen, this is profound. He uses the final eight chapters, chapter 40 through 48, to describe the rededicated Jerusalem temple that will stand during the thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth. Now, finally, can you see Hanukkah? Mark 13, 33. Jesus said these words, Take heed, keep on alert, 
for you do not know when the appointed time will come. So I'll ask you a question. In light of all that's going on in the Middle East right now and in America and the great falling away of the church, which is systematically abandoning the Word of God, how much longer? How long will it be before God comes and removes the only restraint of evil on the earth, the church, and darkness comes. I don't know. Maybe soon. Maybe soon. Are you ready? Are the people in your family ready? Are your neighbors ready? A lot of people are getting ready. We baptized two people before this service started tonight. We did. Are you ready? Yeah, it's a question. Uh, next week, it's going to be Purim. It's going to be talking about the, the Esther and the Purim. And I, I just want to say this. Um, tonight, the Word of God is proclaimed. It's clear. It's concise. The appointed time's coming. I don't, I don't know. We may, we'll be here in 10 years from now. Maybe we won't be here 10 days from now. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, faith is to endure opposition. You have to stand up in this spirit war. You have to stand up. So I, I, I remain at the end of these services, and if somebody tonight needs to make a decision, you feel the Holy Spirit's leading you to make a decision, I'll hang around here afterwards, talk to you, pray with you if you want to. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, today you held the door open. A little longer. You said very clearly, you're not willing that any should perish. You find no joy in the death of anyone. You don't want to send anybody to hell. Hell wasn't even made for people. It's made for Satan and his demons. So you're holding the door open. Another chance, another day. How much longer? I don't know. I don't know, Lord. I know everything in me cries out. Come, Jesus. And may we preach the word until you come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.